All right, all right, all right. All right, so the truth, uh, full disclosure here, we, we, we don't pretend anything. We are a really friendly church, but the second greeting is what we do when I'm about to get up and speak and realize I haven't put my mic on yet. So that was just, yeah, that was on me. Hey, I want to start this message this morning with a really simple question, and it's related to, oh, wait, I got to do something else first. Um, back up the train. All right. There has been a handful of us, this is sort of an announcement here, there's a handful of us that have felt like we're really needing to do some prayer for 2018, Um, and so we're going to do some fasting and prayer, and there's going to be a group of us that gather here on New Year's Day at noon, and we are going to talk a little bit about what fasting and prayer looks like, and we're going to zone in on these five areas here at Hope that we're feeling prompted to pray for. Um, We're going to pray for Pastor Paul and his his health, and um, things are looking good so far, so we want to keep praying into that. We also feel like we want to keep praying for our kids' ministry, and our search for our new kids' pastor has begun. Hallelujah, all right. want to pray for, yes, we want to pray for our student ministries, which is being led by Evan, and he's doing some, some rebuilding, and it's really good. We want to pray for the finances here at Hope, and also um, we want to be praying for just our worship times together. So, New Year's Day, noon, right here. Keep an eye on the Facebook page and our email stuff in case we tweak any of the times, but um, just be aware that that's going to happen. All right, now we're going to get into the Advent theme of joy. It's our fourth Sunday in Advent. Our theme is joy, as we talked about during the candle lighting, and I want to start this message with a really simple question, and the question is, when was the last time that you experienced joy? Not, not just any joy, but like great, deep, real joy, the kind of joy that you can't help but um, not be able to contain, the, the kind of joy that just spills out of you. I, um, I can think back to joy when I was younger. I remember the experience of great joy when I was a kid, and we would have something um, in Minnesota called a, a snow day, okay, a snow day. For, yeah, for those of you Arizonans who may not be familiar, in other parts of the world, believe it or not, um, it does drop below like 50, 60 degrees as a high for the day. It, um, in some places, it actually gets below freezing and stay, yes, I hear the boo, amen to the boo. We're glad to be here. Um, but, but it actually gets below freezing and it stays there for months on end. Um, and again, this might be hard for some of you to imagine who are natives, because you don't even go to Flagstaff in the winter, but, but um, you desert natives, uh, instead of the world ending when it gets that cold, sometimes these little pieces of white, frozen, fluffy water fall from the sky. And if enough of this white stuff accumulates, people go a little nuts in other parts of the country. Entire cities will shut down um, when it gets bad enough. Some people are afraid to drive or it's not safe to drive, but, but um, I mean, it's kind of like when we get a little rain here in Arizona, right? Yeah? And so where I grew up in Minnesota, this would happen with some frequency a number of times a year, usually in the winter, but sometimes in fall or spring, too. And I remember when there was a snowfall that was big enough and it was cold enough, there was this clear feeling of excitement sort of radiated out of me and my brother and sisters, and we would gather around the radio in the morning, if you're from Minnesota, AM 830 WCCO radio in Minneapolis. There we go, you know it. 
And we would wait for the news. They would start calling out all the schools across the state that, that had delayed two hours start late or cancel for the day. And when it happened, we had ourselves a what? A snow day. Yeah, you guys are quick. I mean, the joy of that moment. So, <clears throat> that's a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But, but how about you? When was the last time you experienced joy? So, maybe write it on your bulletin in the notes page. Don't worry, we won't have you hand it in. But maybe just when was the last time? Maybe just kind of harken back um, to that last time. And then let me follow that first question with the second question. Uh, how much joy are you living with today? Like right now, in this moment, how, how would you rate yourself on like the joy scale? Uh, what are the factors that lead to your joy? It's, it's worth pondering um, and maybe even thinking deeper about later today or sometime this week. And as our theme this week is joy, I started thinking through the the Christmas story. I started thinking through the characters in the Christmas story, just kind of off the top of my head. I was trying to just land on, you know, which character in the Christmas story really, like, hits the joy theme, okay? I mean, think about all the characters in the, in the Christmas story, right? You've got Mary, you've got Joseph, you've got Elizabeth and Zechariah, um, you've got the Magi. Okay, okay. The three wise men, they weren't, we, we know, they weren't there for Jesus' birth. They probably came sometime between the ages of one and two, um, but, but the shepherds, they were there. Um, and, and, and we have the angels, the angels who announced this news to the shepherds. And all of these characters in the story, they all hear the news. They respond in different ways uh, for what God's about to do through this baby, through this child, through Jesus. I mean, Mary's response is that she sings a song. Um, the Magi, eventually, their response is that they bring gifts and the shepherds, they respond, and they just, they can't stop telling the story to everyone they meet. And then, of course, um, there's the, this mysterious little boy who won't stop, you know, banging his drum, pum 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 right? Um, <clears throat> clearly, this, this <laughs> drummer has never been around a newborn before, banging the drum, but... Okay, there's no drummer boy, just in case you weren't sure. But since I'm a drummer, when I was growing up and I found out there wasn't a little drummer boy really in the Christmas story, I was, it was such a buzzkill. It was really disappointing. But uh, no, no little drummer boy. But, but there were angels. There were angels. And the angels' response to this news is great joy. That's where the joy really gets specific. And that's where we're going to spend our time today. Now... Luke, in retelling the night that Jesus was born in Bethlehem, he writes, And there were shepherds out living in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy yeah, for all the people, right? He's saying, good news that will cause great joy. And I think this is really fascinating because the angel uses the word joy. I mean, in, in our culture today, you know, joy is used f frequently, especially this time of the year, right? I mean, it's, it's on coffee cups, it's on T-shirts, you find the wall art hangings, um, maybe on a throw pillow, joy. You'll see it everywhere. We, we see it used in lots of different ways in our culture. And 
Um, I just learned this, this week that the tears of joy emoji here, there it is, right there. Um, and by the way, I'm, I must be aging myself. Until yesterday, I thought that that was the I'm laughing so hard that I'm crying emoji. Apparently, I was wrong, showing my age here. But this tears of joy emoji is worldwide the most commonly texted and tweeted emoji. I mean, so by the way, just don't say you left here today and you didn't learn something, okay? There you go right there. That's, that's a taker homer. <clears throat> so it seems to me, looking around our culture, around our world, that most people, um, probably everyone would agree that more joy would be a good thing. And whether you're part of a church or not, I think we can all get behind more joy. And I don't think that I'm going out on a limb to say it's not that we just want this feeling of joy. We really want deep abiding joy, don't we? We want the kind of joy that can hold all of what's going on in our minds and hearts today. We want the kind of joy that can, that can hold the heaviness, like the weight of this world, all that's going on, the challenges we see around us. We want the kind of joy that doesn't vanish when our circumstances change. Um, but despite our culture's commitment to this joy word, especially at this time of the year, for many, we don't actually experience more joy, do we? Like, sadly, at Christmas, we actually experience more anxiety, right? Studies show we experience more overload, a deeper sense of loneliness, and then more emptiness when it's all over. But here we are, day before Christmas, the chaos coming to a head, especially later today, and I'm struck by these messengers of God and their message of great joy, these angels who light up the sky with this simple and profound message. The angel says, I bring good news that will cause great joy. Now, notice here, the angel doesn't say, I bring good news and great joy. No, the angel is saying, because of the good news I'm bringing, there will be great joy. So he's saying, if A, then B, right? So if there's good news, and there is, then comes the great joy. Young preacher named Abby Adio says, true joy is always a response. It's always intertwined with and always connected to the good news. Some of you have heard of C.S. Lewis. He's a great thinker. Um, wrote the Chronicles of Narnia as well, but wrote lots of other books that were beyond that genre. And one of his books called, is called Surprised by Joy. Now, C.S. Lewis had this brilliant mind, and he had this reputation for being unfailingly honest. And so in this really honest book, he recounts his search for joy. See, he had spent much of his life, uh, most of his life, as a committed and very devoted atheist, uh, when he was young, he had grown up in a church. He rejected, though, the kind of rigidity and the religiosity in what he saw in that church and what he experienced as a kid. And in this book, Lewis recounts how it was largely this word joy that led him back to faith. As brilliant as he was, it wasn't all the apologetics. It was joy that drew him back. And he said, after all his searching, he could find no other lasting source of joy outside of the person of Jesus. See, Lewis discovered, after years of searching, that what the angel actually said to the shepherds was true. Great joy goes hand in hand 
with good news. If A, then B, right? And part of my hope for this message this morning is to reconnect those two things, to reconnect joy with its source, the good news of Jesus this morning. And, and if we do have time um, near the end, I'll wrap us up with a few simple ideas to help us begin to enter more into joy in our lives. So let's book, look back here at the angels in the Christmas story. And, and the point of looking at the angels here is that they show up on the scene with this message of great joy. And Luke writes this interesting line connected to the angels, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Hmm. The glory of the Lord. Now, every year, right, we hear this scripture um, when we read the Christmas story. It's real easy to kind of blow past it, bypass it, but it's really important, the glory of the Lord. It's not something that we usually think about a lot. I, I don't think about it a ton. Uh, it sounds kind of religious, um, but in its original context, it had a much bigger meaning, uh, a meaning that we don't really um, give it credit for. Uh, in the Greek, glory implies a weightiness. Yeah, glory is a heaviness. It's an abundance. And um, some of you may be familiar with um, like some of the laws of, of physics. And, and there's this basic principle in physics that says... Uh, we'll put it up on the screen here, because I'm not smart enough to remember. There it is, the physical law of buoyancy. I didn't put that in my notes, it's on the slide. Uh, the physical law of buoyancy. By the way, write this down today is the smartest I'm going to try to sound for about two minutes. So after that, all bets are off, okay? Um, <clears throat> all right, so this basic principle in physics says that two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. So if two objects or bodies need to occupy the same space at the same time, the denser, the heavier one, the, the greater of the two will always win out. It will displace the other. Does that make sense? I mean, I probably should have brought like a bunch of water here and some weights and we drop it in, the denser the weight would like then spill the water out, right? It's, it just displaces what's in there. Now, so what does this whole concept have to do with angels and joy and glory? Actually, I think quite a bit. See, this principle helps us understand the word glory. And what we celebrate at this time of the year, what the angels came to proclaim, was that this new reality that God had come and become a, a human in the person of Jesus, uh, Emmanuel, we call him, which means God with us. Um, we could think of Jesus coming as this beautiful collision between heaven and earth that up there has come down here, that our human rea reality has collided with this new God reality. And here's the thing, when this, when this collision happens, the divine, okay, the glorious, the divine, and the human, or we could call it the ordinary, this, the weightier of those two realities, this, this divine glorious reality, displaces the human, the ordinary reality. And that's what happens when God gets a hold of our lives. When we say yes to Jesus, to walking in his way, to following God, that stuff that just kind of is a part of us gets displaced. God actually collides with us, brings his nature to us, and, and, and the glory of God shines through us now. It shines in us. It shines around us. See, when we allow God to 
get a hold of us, his glory comes, it displaces all of our little human realities of worry, of fear, of shame, or regret. It displaces that stuff. See, the divine glorious reality displaces the human reality. And that's how the love, the peace, the hope, that's how the joy of Jesus offers um, change for our realities. Like, no matter the pain or trials that you're going through, the hope, the love, the peace, the joy of Jesus, they're supernaturally available to each and every one of us. See, God's glory can shift things. It can, it can displace our earthly concerns. It's part of the gift of Christmas. It's part of the gift of God coming in Jesus. Now, uh, by the way, don't hear me saying that all your problems will be gone, because like, our problems don't always go away when, when Jesus comes into our lives and displaces that. They don't always disappear, but when Jesus displaces that stuff, then we can actually look at our problems and our issues and stuff, and we can see them more accurately. It, it shifts our attention to living in God's reality, His goodness, His love. His, his love displaces our fears. Right? It moves it over. Um, I'm trying to think of, like, like, how does this work? And the best example I could think of was, like, a newly engaged couple, okay? Think about a couple that's, for years, been looking for the love of their life. They finally find one another. Um, when Heidi and I got engaged, was it two years and two months ago, right? Um, we're married now, in case you're new, right? I'm like, better not get in trouble. She's on the front row. Um, uh, when we got engaged, there was this excitement. There was a, there was a weightiness in a good way to it. Uh, and, and on the day that we got engaged, I actually surprised Heidi with the timing of asking her. Like, she thought I was going to wait till Thanksgiving. She had no idea it was coming on the day that it did. We went on a, uh, a little adventure where we um, took a mountain bike. We, neither of us are mountain bikers, uh, for a few miles and then hiked another few miles where we couldn't get through the trail any farther. And when we set out that morning, we got a late start, and then we hit traffic, you know, the 17 when something happens up there in the middle of nowhere. There's nowhere to go. You just wait, right? Yeah, so that was one of those days. We finally arrived at the trailhead. We rode our bikes partway down the trail, um, which was actually pretty stressful and tre treacherous. Showed me why, you know, it's not a good idea for non-mountain bikers to ride mountain bikes. Go figure, right? Um, and then we got to the spot where we couldn't go any farther. We locked up the bikes, and we hiked the rest of the way into the spot. But it was later in the day than, than I had planned. And soon after we arrived at the spot, I proposed, which was fun. It was full of joy. But um, the day had already gotten away from us. And to come back to our car, we ended up riding our mountain bikes down this treacherous trail. But now it was in the dark, <laughs> right? With headlamps on, yeah. I mean, on the way in, during the daylight, we were stressed. It was a nerve-wracking ride, but now it's, it's dark. It, and it would have been like 10 times as stressful. But since I popped the question when we had gotten to our destination, before making our trek back to the car, we were swimming in euphoria, and the joy, the excitement of getting engaged had enveloped us. So the ride back somehow was a piece of cake even in the pitch-black night with only headlamps to help us navigate this rocky trail. Um, but we didn't stress about it. We were overjoyed. It was like we floated down the trail. Oh, yeah, that's good. <laughs> it was a glorious, 
glorious moment. We were living in this new reality. And, and to use the word again that we're focused on, it was a glorious moment. And it far outweighed, it displaced the stress that we would normally have gotten sucked into because the joy, the glory of the moment was amazing. So that's kind of how that displacing looks in a, like a real-life scenario, right? Um, <clears throat> side note here. Um, again, full disclosure. <laughs> it's not always that swimmingly wonderful, right? Uh, anybody who's been married knows the truth of this anyway. I mean, I mean I, for, for other people, this wasn't the case for us, but, but, you know, for other people, soon after these glorious engagements happen, then what begins? The wedding planning. <laughs> right? The wedding planning begins, and then it goes from... Not for us, but yeah, I've heard for other people. Um, it goes to the weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? But before the wedding planning, it's, it's joy and glory, but I digress. Okay, so back to Christmas here. Um, back to Christmas. Okay, so at Christmas, these realities collide. And glory, if we allow it to, if we enter into it, glory and, and weightiness and beauty and the coming of Jesus and focusing on that, can displace the cares of the world and the stress of the season. But, again, only if we will slow down, say yes, make space, pay attention, and enter into it. Uh, we have to allow it to do the work. And, and that's good news, actually. Um, so today, being Christmas Eve, tomorrow Christmas Day, question to take with you is, what is the thing? What is the thing that's taken up all the space in your head or in your heart? What's the thing that's keeping you from entering into the joy that is available? And what would it look like? What would it look like for you to allow the glory of Jesus and all that he brings us, what would it look like to slow down, to stop, to pay attention, to enter into joy and allow that to begin to displace your fear, to displace your anxiety, to displace your maybe even anger? And I believe that it starts with getting in touch with the source of the joy of the season, which by the way, it would be a normal question to ask as I'm doing this talk, right? Um, what is the source of the reality? What is the source of this joy, this glory? What's the source of this good news? Um, one of our classic favorite carols at the time, this time of year um, is Joy to the World. Joy to the World. Anybody know who wrote? It wasn't Chris Tomlin. Youngsters, it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> um, a named Isaac Watts composed this song and. Uh, 1719, and by the way, Isaac Watts composed 750 songs during his lifetime, so apparently it takes that many to get a good one, okay? But um, <laughs> Joy to the World, right? It's the most published Christmas song in North America, and Watts based his hymn on Psalm 98, a psalm that's really important for us because it's the source of, the, of what the good news of Jesus is all about. The psalmist writes this, Sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done wonderful deeds. His right arm has won a mighty victory. His holy arm, holy arm has shown his saving power. The Lord has announced his victory and revealed his righteousness to Israel. The ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. And that's what he based that song on when he wrote Joy to the World. And this psalm speaks to what the collision of that divine, that glorious um, reality, displacing 
the human, the ordinary reality, what, what it looks like. It, it speaks to the Savior Jesus and what he will do, that he will come and go to the cross, he will overcome death, and his victory will be your victory And then he will extend his invitation to everyone. Jesus will extend this victory to shepherds, to Jews, to Gentiles, to prostitutes, to the poor and overlooked, to the impoverished and the beaten up. He will extend that invitation to you and to me. It's an invitation that joy is for everyone. See, Jesus will guarantee a love over your life unlike anything you have ever experienced before. It's, it's a love that's unconditional. It's a love that knows no limits. It's a, it's a love that chases you down. It fights until you are found. You cannot earn it, and none of us deserve it. Corey Asbury, in his song, Reckless Love, which has become my new favorite, says it this way, there's no shadow. He's saying, Jesus, there's no shadow that you won't light up, mountain that you won't climb up coming after me. There's no wall you won't kick down. There's no lie you won't tear down coming after me. See, God will not stop pursuing and breaking into this world until peace and shalom have been restored, until every tear is gone, until every heart is full. And the result of a world like that would be joy. When I think about Christmas, I think about the story of Jesus coming and his glory coming. It displaces the darkness. Um, It's like stepping in uh, from a raging blizzard into a warm cabin, into a new reality, a place of well-being. See, joy is is this sense of pervasive well-being. Joy is knowing that because of Jesus, it's better here. It's it's warmer here. It's it's okay. We're going to be okay here in his presence. Ah, there is joy. And that kind of a picture is a real contrast with what we often see in our culture. See, often we think about joy, well, it's just connected up to happiness. It's connected to an emotion that we feel as we respond to a particular circumstance. And one of the problems, if that's our approach to joy, it's all dependent on circumstances outside of us, is that we then become victims of our circumstances, right? We become, we become dependent on something other than the good news to bring us joy, which is why joy is often so fleeting in my life. Too often I base my experience of joy, I base my, um, my joy scale on things that don't last and aren't intended to be my source. Or for me, again, I'll look around and see all the difficult things that I'm facing or that my friends are facing or that our church is facing and someone says, joy, and I'm like, it seems like a joke. Like, how am I supposed to experience joy when everything seems to be falling apart? Like, come on. One of the greatest pictures of joy that I've ever seen comes from the legendary Lord of the Rings trilogy, written by J.R.R. Tolkien. And in the third book of the trilogy, by the way, youngsters, it, was, it wasn't just a movie, it was, there were books, okay, yeah. Um, third book of the trilogy, there's this scene where everything is just falling apart, right? <laughs> there's no space for joy, it's a desperate time. The good guys are trying to destroy the ring, they're trying to save Middle-earth, but it's not going well. But then one of the heroes of the story, Gandalf, he does something that nobody would predict. He, he starts, in the middle of all that, he starts to laugh. 
And one of the hobbits, who's sort of on Gandalf's team, I guess, he's watching this happen, and then right away, um, he's a little miffed. He's a little caught off guard by Gandalf's behavior, this joy in the middle of all this mess. Like, why is he responding this way? Has he, has he lost it? Does he, doesn't he care? And then Tolkien writes, Pippin glanced in some wonder at the face now close beside his own, for the sound of that laugh had been cheerful and merry. Yet in the wizard face he saw first only lines of care and sorrow. Though as he looked more intently, he perceived that under all there was a great joy, a fountain of mirth enough to set a kingdom laughing were it to gush forth. See what the angels know, uh, what the psalmist knows, what Gandalf knows is that in spite of of our circumstances, there is a greater and truer reality that has come to bear on earth. There is a good news that cannot be thwarted by circumstances or by an emotion. So a great Quaker theologian said it this way, said, I don't trust the theology of any person who doesn't laugh. <laughs> Isn't that great? I don't trust the theology of any person that doesn't laugh. They're, they're not in touch with joy, right? See, here's the deal. And I'm not talking about like a flippant, out-of-control laughter, something that's out of touch. It's not forced. It's not phony. Um, but it's the kind of joy. It's the kind of laughter that rests in knowing whew, no matter what we're in the middle of, all will be well. Ultimately, all will be well. And joy is not just this emotion I try to conjure up or manufacture. I am held by God just as I am today, just where I am within the well-being of a God whose victory is my victory, the victory he won, he gives to us. And the best part about all this good news uh, is that it is joy for all people. Right? This good news of Jesus, it's for the person that feels like they can't get a break. It's, the, it's for the person who feels like, like they're just waiting, waiting, waiting all the time. It's for the person who's overwhelmed with anxiety, with depression, with, with fear. This good news is for the parent who's just plain tired. It's for the woman who's suffered a miscarriage and is living with a great grief. It's for the man who feels like he's just living from one day to the next without any sort of greater sense of purpose in his life. See, no matter your circumstance, no matter your situation, you are held by this great big God who loves you passionately and deeply. There is unspeakable joy available to you this Christmas. I want to wrap up with three quick ideas that that I, and there's way more than this, but uh, that you, I'm sure, would have as well. But um, I'm thinking as we wrap up, like, how do we get really practical with this? Like, how do we then live in this joy, this authentic joy, during not just this Christmas season, but moving forward? Um, and the first of the three things that you might consider doing um, is simply this. Number one, just say yes to this new reality. Say yes to this new reality of the love of God, of the, of the joy of the story of Jesus. And the biblical word for saying yes, by the way, is repentance. And it literally means, and I think this is an awesome definition, it means to think differently after being with. Right? So we are with God, 
It changes how we think. We become willing to say yes to his way, to his reality. Like, I think that is so good, so good. See, there's this good news that's happening. See, good news, good news that we say yes to that's that's the cause of joy. Good news, it's the cause for us to have joy. And repentance is the gateway to the good news. See, um, Christmas represents this collision of worlds, of, of the eternal heaven and the ordinary earth, the collision that happens. And it represents God's reality entering our reality. But we have a choice to make. Will we hear the story of Jesus coming, and it's just a nice little story, and we'll just go on being the same? Or will we say yes to walking in this new reality? Will we think differently moving forward? And just as much as we have to say yes to some things and say yes to the reality of Jesus, it also requires that we say no in a way. So we, we say no to our own kingdoms, our own pride, our own selfishness, our, our, our own arrogance, our own indifference, our own entitlement. We say no to those things, which, by the way, are the biggest barriers of joy that we will experience in this life. I know it's true for me. Those are barriers, that arrogance and entitlement. Those are barriers to joy. So I set those things aside. I say yes to God and his reality because it's reality that we want. Like his reality is marked by forgiveness and selfless love and compassion and concern for other people, concern for the least of these. And maybe today you'll want to have a conversation with God in this area. Um, maybe there's an area that you know you need to repent or change your mind, change your direction. You need to think differently about some things that you've said or some things that you've done or haven't done. And, and you just might want to say, you know, God, I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry. I'm going to think differently about my life and I want to let more of your glory, your reality in to displace this other stuff. Um, this is something we do daily. Will we let God's glory in to displace these other things? Will we let more of his way in? I mean, just think about the incredible joy if we all made a commitment, if we all said yes to that kind of joy. Like if this church, which is already incredibly wonderful and full of friendly, amazing people, but if as a church we all made this commitment to live out that kind of joy and that our church became known as, 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 a, as a place of great joy, and when people heard the word Christian, um, the first and foremost associated word they would have would be joy instead of, you know, judgment or, um, or oh, people with an agenda. But instead of that stuff being lumped in with Christians, when they think of us, they would think, ah, oh, yes, joy. Like, what if the same glory that the angels um, just had overflowing out of them was the same glory that showed through us and through this place here at Hope Covenant? See, and that happens when we say yes to God. That's where it starts, when we say yes to God and we let his glory, his love shine through us. A second thing is, um, a second way. I'm going to suggest that we could have more joy in this season and beyond. second one is simply by making space. Making space. Um, the Christmas story, it's really interesting. You've got these angels, right? They're the most joyful characters in all the story. And they're the most joyful because they've already been living in the presence of Jesus, right? In the presence of God. So you've got these angels are joyful. You can contrast the angels with, you know, maybe like the innkeeper who we indirectly meet in that chapter. And we meet the innkeeper because when Mary, Joseph, and soon-to-be-born Jesus are uh, they're put in a stable, 
because um, there's no room for them in the inn. And again, we don't want to be too hard on the innkeeper. We know from the story. There's a Roman census taking place. People are flooding the town of Bethlehem. It's a tiny town. It's just the simple reality. The things were full. There's no more room. So it wasn't like he was rejecting Jesus. It wasn't a confrontational, no, you can't come in. In fact, I think it was something more dangerous than no from the innkeeper. was more about, um, it was a default no. It was a, no, Jesus, um, my life is too full. My schedule's too packed. Um, there are too many parties to attend, too many gifts to buy, too many family members to feed, too many religious services to be a part of. Sorry, but <laughs> no. And I just had to look at my own life this week and, and wonder how, how many places am I having a default no to Jesus just because I'm simply too busy, I'm too full, there's no vacancy, and by the way, byproduct of that, no joy. So will we make space? Will we make space? Will we listen to God and say yes to him? Will we make space? Will we look for ways to continue to make space in our life it's interesting, though, to make space. All through this story here, people had to give something up to gain the joy, right? right? The shepherds, they had to walk away from their sheep to gain joy, didn't they? Um, the magi who visited Jesus eventually, they had to say no to King Herod. They had to blatantly disobey. If you know the story, they had to blatantly disobey King Herod. Something was really dangerous to do in that day. So they, they could say yes to Jesus. They could say yes to joy. And how about us? What will we say no to in order to make space for joy? How could we be more like the, less like the innkeeper and more like the angels? Um, again, real practical on how to make space. Maybe it's answering no to answering um, work email from home so that you can spend more quality time with your family. Maybe it's saying no to having your phone on at dinner so you can be present. Maybe it's saying no to talk radio on the way to work so you can say yes to maybe worship music or something that would open our hearts more to God. There's making space. And the third thing, the last thing I want to mention is um, to, to, to find more inroads into joy. We pay attention. We pay attention to this beautiful reality that God is already breaking into our world and our life. With the, with the shepherds. It's just like with the shepherds. They went and visited the baby Jesus and were told the shepherds returned there glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. See, the shepherds witnessed this birth of this victorious Jesus. They left their sheep. They made space for joy, and now they're traveling home, and Luke points out everything's different for them now. They can't help but offer gratitude. They can't help but, but tell people what's happening and what they've seen. They can't shut up, and now they are. They're still going back to their same old job, the same old sheep, back to the same night shift, but now they have a different lens because they've paid attention. And friends, the same is true for us. The more attentive I am to what God is doing around me in the world, the more naturally my response will be joy. Let me say one more time, the more attentive I am to what God is doing in the world, the more naturally my response will be joy. And we practice joy simply by paying attention to 
a new day, right? To the, to the people sitting around you in this room, to the community, to, to a sunrise, to the meal that's set in front of me, to the flowers that I see in my neighbor's yard when I walk my dog, to the sound of children playing. See, we pay attention, and when we do, we open our hearts to joy. We say thanks to God for all the ways that he's colliding and breaking into this world. And friends, I can't help but believe that when we start to pay attention enough, we start to say thanks more and more, and pretty soon we find ourselves submerged in this new reality where we see God at work in all things, and we cannot help but be joyful.